it brings the benefit of a uh, of a p particular kind of friendship, which you can't even get from marriage in a certain sense. You know what I mean? In other words, the 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 way that the human being is put together, and the the uh, the, the deep sort of spiritual and existential needs that we have. Uh, call out or cry out for a network of different relationships that fortify various areas of our lives. And even in the Catholic world, all that's left for a lot of people is just marriage, which is not, I mean, I mean, that's a, that's a grace. <laughs> right, <laughs> right, right. And so th there's something very powerful about it, but all on its own steam without sort of um, networks of family and friendship and all of those things. You know, uh, okay, we're newly married. We're going to go off to Connecticut and make a new life for ourselves without any roots or connections. Good luck. That could work. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. You know. Yep. Just they don't. You don't realize what you're giving up. That's right. Yeah. Or or the danger, which God will help with, uh, but the danger if He's calling you, but the danger that 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 uh, presents. And so it's a great gift. I was saying. Uh, to David before you uh, came in, Adam, that I was so moved uh, by meeting the two of you last night just by the simple fact uh, that you've been together all your lives. I think that that's a, a singular grace. Very important. Truly. So uh, I'm David Niles here with Adam Minahan. We're joined by Monsignor Shea, hailing from the Diocese of Bismarck. That's right. Uh, the University of Mary. University of Mary. Thank you. That's right. That's where I'm at. Um, so we're, we're very excited for you to be here with us. You're going to be speaking. We're, we're at the men's conference, the Oklahoma Catholic Men's Conference in the, in the Father's Footsteps, mm. 2022. No. Oh, yes. I'm sorry. Yes. It is 2022, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, this is the 26th annual. That's what I thought you were doing. Very yep. exciting. Um, Senior Shea, you're going to be speaking, uh, addressing the men later today. Um, you're going to be talking about leisure. That's yeah. right. Yeah, the, the title of my talk is Work, Leisure, and Mercy. It's interesting in that, um, you know, I, I'm not a professional Catholic speaker. You know, they were saying last night. Join the club. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> they, they were saying last night, now you're going to want to look at the area beforehand because lots of our speakers are pretty persnickety and they need things to be just this way. And they're always disappointed in other places. I think you'll be pleased with what we've set up. I'm like, holy cow, I just need a microphone. <laughs> and if you don't have one, I'll shout. Is, <laughs> it, is there something I'm supposed to prefer? Right. You know, what are they? What are they? What do, do they right, want? Right, 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 right. But they did say to me, there are men here from the whole gamut, and so you've got uh, guys of all kinds of different backgrounds yeah. and, and, and um, sort of work habits and various areas of sort of the progression and pilgrimage of faith. Mm -hmm. uh, young people, older people, and so uh, just do something very practical. And so I thought. What could be more practical than, than talking about work, which occupies such an enormous amount of our lives, yeah. and the way that we can get it wrong? Because, uh, of course, the enemy of our human nature, <laughs> the devil, wants to mess up every single area of our lives. Uh, and so uh, he'll target those areas which take up, l which take up big pieces of the map. Uh, and, and work is one area in which uh, we can, as men, get so absorbed uh, that all of our other responsibilities, some of which are more fundamental to our identity, uh, can get s screwed up. And so leisure then, uh, from the Catholic perspective, and in the, in the vast array of sort of cultural resources that we as Catholics have, leisure is uh, the great sort of, not just moderating factor, but it gives the spice and the season to how we spend our time. And it gives work its meaning. Mm -hmm. And so the thesis is we'll never get work right unless we get leisure right and we'll never get 
Monday right unless we get Sunday right. That's what I'm going to talk about. Praise God. Yeah, I think you're right that in, you know, in American culture especially, there's this idea of like a strong work ethic. Yeah. Traditionally, yeah, I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah. I think maybe that is kind of waning a little bit in, in modern modern days, you know. Uh, but certainly it's still there as a, as a culture. And I think that that's kind of taught people that we rest so that we can go back to work. That's right. Um, and so we, I think we know, like, oh, I know how to work hard. I understand, like, the virtue and a strong work ethic. Yeah. Uh, most most people do. I think they get that. And but I think it's totally lost on them, the virtue of leisure. What's the? I mean, but it's one of the first things that God tried to teach man um, with the Sabbath. You know, He pulls yeah. the Israelites out of out of Egypt, and this is something that He really stresses over and over again. Yeah. Um, so why is it so important? Well, so you, you put your finger upon the particular cultural milieu in which we find ourselves as Americans, at least historically. It could be that in the wake of the pandemic and with generational shifts, uh, work ethic is something which is, which is waning. But the American man and the American person is self-made. You know what I mean? We pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, and we can't help as a, as a culture and then individually to, to admire the workaholic. Mm-hmm. And and even even so, it was interesting. One of the most popular books about work and life uh, that's been released in the last generations was Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Yeah. And he has a chapter in that book called Sharpening the Saw, meaning you'll never be super effective at your work unless you take time to rest, and that's when you sharpen the saw. So you rest so that you can work better. But that's topsy-turvy. You see what I mean? Because when we're talking about rest here, we're not talking about sloth, which, of course, is a capital sin. We're not Uh talking about uh, what's been called recently and in ancient times, and so we're rediscovering this truth, a sadia or a chadia. We're not talking about that. We're not talking about laying around and drooling into the couch. What we're talking about is the rest which is fundamental to our being and and which refreshes us, uh, which has no purpose, other than being, it's the prioritization of being instead of doing. Because we weren't made just to do. We weren't made just to sort of prove our worth uh, by being productive. And, and, and what happens when we uh, adopt that mindset is we begin to think uh, that, that we have to prove ourselves. That, and that it's possible to do the one thing that we're not able to do, which is to earn the love of God. Mm. God's love comes to us because he created us in his image for a purpose, and he loves us. And uh, I think men, and this is why I'm so happy to speak to this group, men are particularly susceptible, but all of us are susceptible to what I call chasing the blessing. In other words, um, trying to, to, to be impressive enough so that we're worthy of love. And this is a great it's a great big problem, and it sabotages our spiritual life. So that's, that's the mercy part, work leisure and mercy. Mercy means allowing God to pour his loving kindness, his mercy, his love out upon our misery. And this is really important for us to learn how to do that. And it means not chasing the blessing and somehow trying to catch it, but allowing ourselves to be caught. Fundamental to mm, leisure. I love that. Fundamental to leisure in the Catholic vision is the act of worship. And so uh, this, this is where I'll end in terms of answering this question. But remember, uh, when the Ten Commandments were given to Moses on Mount Sinai. 
Uh, mo most of them, if you look at them, can be found in traces in the other great religious traditions of, or ethical traditions of the world. Don't lie, don't cheat, don't uh, uh, steal, all of these things. There's a common sense aspect to that. Human beings can't meaningfully order their lives. It would be chaos if people were just going around shattering those commandments. But not to work on the Sabbath, to rest on that day, doesn't have a, a sort of common sense aspect to it. And so we have to remember the historical context. And it's this, that, that when God is speaking to Moses and delivering to him his great commandments, he's, he's addressing the leader of a people just freed from slavery. And he's saying, look, I freed you from slavery. Slaves have no time for rest, for worship, for me, for family, for anything. They work 24-7. They simply uh, labor and, and are filled with the burden of work. I command you not to live like that because now you're free people. Now you'll rest and you'll worship. And that's how you'll come into your being. And that commandment is something which we have to take seriously and integrate into our lives. Uh, because if we don't, we're shattering it. And shattering the commandments, kind of a bad idea on the <laughs> way to everlasting life. <laughs> I think that actually happened one time, right? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, you kind of hinted at this, Monsignor, uh, about worship and, and, and the relationship of worship and leisure. And it mm -hmm. seems like that there is a almost a hierarchy of leisure. Um, in, in some form, like right. So I think that the the, the crescendo, the epitome of um, leisure, is the holy sacrifice of the mass. That's right. Um, can we can you maybe talk about like what, what the the importance of the hierarchy, making sure that we have a, a yeah. understanding of that correctly? No, absolutely. Because and this goes back to David's original question about maybe. Um, uh, us uh, losing our work ethic type of thing. I think that, um, that one of the great misunderstandings is that leisure is primarily entertainment. Uh, that leisure is, yeah. uh, is, you know, going to a show or watching a movie or watching a sports game or those kinds of things. And there is a leisurely aspect could, to those It things. could be those, a some of those things. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely, it could be. But leisure is not meant to distract us. Leisure is not meant to be this sort of... Um, uh, uh, it's not supposed to, to numb uh, the uh, pain of our lives. Not a dehumanizing, like, I just want to zone out. That's right. right. That's right. Uh, where real life starts as soon as, as soon as the real activity of our life ends. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? It's supposed You're, to make us more human. It's supposed to make us more human. And so when we're, when we're talking about what refreshes us, what truly brings us rest, it, those, those are things which correspond to our human nature. Uh, and, and which help us to stand up again and not to lay down, not to drool into the couch, but to stand up again, to be erect, uh, to be uh, full of energy and life and joy. And at the, at, the height, at the height of all of these different areas, these different experiences of leisure and rest, which we can have, you know, which, which run the gamut from, from, from entertainment uh, of a particular kind, of a wholesome kind, you mm -hmm. know, because entertainment, as you note, cannot be leisurely, too. Uh, entertainment, uh, going up through the, the various relationships and study and um, reading. I see you're sitting there with a copy of The Divine Comedy by yes. Dante. That's pretty impressive. Um, uh, but well, Father, I'm, I'm a very impressive person. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it. I believe it. I believe His it. humility is also known worldwide. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. I, and I have trophies to prove it. The most humble. The most humble. But, but the, at the height of this is, is the, the desire and the demand to worship God. And uh, why is that the highest activity possible? 
because all of this life is a scrimmage for eternal life. That's what we're here for. That's and right. all of eternal life is the adoration of God, uh, where uh, his delight in us and our delight in him and our capacity delight from him uh, uh, sort of uh, blend together into an everlasting song of praise. And so uh, the the foretaste of that, as St. Thomas Aquinas tells us, is in the Holy Mass and the reception of, of, of the Blessed Sacrament. When we receive communion, we're getting an assaggio, the Italians say, speaking of Dante, assaggio, a little taste of what we'll experience for all of eternity. So with this idea of leisure, is there an element of festivity <laughs> that always takes yes. place. I mean, like just teen you up. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Is festivity a virtue? Uh, like, just talk about talk. Just talk about festivity. Yeah. So I I, I don't know that I can uh, encapsulate it because uh, it is clear that you're seeding the the path for me. Uh, yes. Uh, is festivity uh, festivity is a, 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 an essential component of mm-hmm. the question of leisure? You know what I mean. In other words, th- there's meant to be it's meant to be an expansion of our capacity. And so our cup is meant to overflow. This is a, uh, an image which is used in scripture. And so the, the truly refreshed person who is through, uh, through the activity of leisure, through uh, the, 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 the profound refreshment and rest, which is finding, is meant, to, is meant to have an experience where my own capacity is expanded. My heart grows bigger. It's like the Grinch and the Grinch. The, mm. the, heart, the heart grows bigger. The mind expands. Truths become more apparent. We learn things about ourselves that we wouldn't otherwise be able to figure out on our own steam. This is the experience of life with God. This is what the encounter which the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass brings about. And so fundamental to that as a natural outgrowth of it uh, is this question of festivity. Uh, that, that the joy that we have in being alive, in being with other immortal beings uh, who also have eternal destinies like us, that has expressed itself in human cultures, especially in Christian cultures, <laughs> with a, a kind of an overflow of, of, of cultural beauty. Uh, and so, um, you know, I'll, I'll mention this morning the experience uh, that Eugene Emmanuel Viollet-le-Duc had when he was a little boy and walked for the first time into, into Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris. Now, of course, Notre Dame is being um, renovated after the Great Fire, after his designs. You know, okay, it's being something. We'll see what happens. You know. <laughs> well, I heard that it's out. It, it, so, it, so he's the. You're dis- hopeful that it will turn out well. I'm very hopeful. Okay, I don't know much about it, but I just yeah. you know like don't really trust the people in charge. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. At least <laughs> in the French government, yeah, I don't know about you're, the renovations. You're good not to do that. So the the little spire, for instance, uh, that 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 we all watched burn. That wasn't original to the building. Viollet-le-Duc stuck it on there in Uh the renovation after the ravages of the French Revolution. Anyway, he said, Accute, Mama, c'est la rosace qui chante. You know, listen, Mama, the rose is singing. He was so filled with joy at the beauty that he experienced. And this is the beauty which isn't meant just for Gothic buildings. It's meant for every single human soul. And uh, festivity is uh, is a uh, sort of a... um, what do they say in the old movie? It's a technicolor expression of that overflowing of joy and mm-hmm. life, which comes from true leisure, uh, especially in the form of worship. And, of course, we, we're, we're missing that in our culture. We're missing it uh, sorely. Yeah, yeah, it's like th- it's those activities that make you feel full inside, you know, like where yeah. you just want to say, my cup runneth over. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, for instance, I think, 
watching television, watching a game, festivity or true leisure is, oh, the game's on today. Like, I can't wait to watch it. Let's yeah. all sit, you know, like, let's call some to call together some friends. Let's watch yeah. it together. Yeah. Let's have this, uh, ex- let's watch the game. Compared to, I wonder what's on television, you know, and turning it on yeah. and just seeing, like. Yeah, there's a community aspect. Right. You're not, you don't, you're not celebrating yeah. anything. You know, it's, it's not refreshing you. It's just getting you by. It, it points back to Adam's question about the hierarchy. In other words, yes. uh, the, the, the lower activities of leisure and those that actually uh, completely drop out of the category of leisure are when we're watching other people do things. And there's no, there's, there's no participation or dignifying um, activity on our part, mm-hmm. you see. Whereas when we're being creative, and that can be just creative enough to invite your friends over to watch other people do things. But the, the higher levels of activity are levels in which there's a, a creativity uh, which corresponds to the dignity of our being, which happens uh, in the midst of it. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And, yes. and, and we're growing closer and closer to what we were made for. So now I'm going to do something rhetorically. Gladiator, gladiator, gladiator. I'm going to do that this morning as well. I have to say those those words uh, three times because that's a man's movie. And I have to do it because then I'm going to talk about the sound of music. <laughs> <laughs> and I, d- I needed to establish my credentials first. So Maria Van Trapp, uh, who not, not Julie Andrews, but the right. real Maria Van Trapp, wrote a little essay, which everybody should, should find, called The Land Without a Sunday. Have you guys seen this? I have not. The Is land it in her, in her book? That book we, that I, we have a couple. I, my wife has some book. of her books at home so maybe she, I think it's in her it, book. it could be there so it's it's a little essay the land without a sunday in which she makes uh, some observations which are really super insightful about what it was like to grow up in a in a thoroughly christian culture in um in austria before the great war mm-hmm. and the way that they observe the observe the sabbath then she makes two uh, other observations she retells uh, the story of a conversation of a couple who had gone after communism gripped Russia, who had gone to see the Soviet Union and noticed that they had abolished Sunday. Instead of a Sabbath, now they had a day off, and the day off rotated through the week so that never was there a store or a factory or a farm which was without activity. And and there were amazing observations about what that had done with the culture. It had given the sense for a culture of incessant, omnipresent work, which, of course, is what Joseph Pieper warns about. Mm -hmm. And then, okay, now all the Americans are thumping their chest. And then she says, and then we came to America. (laughs) 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 And at first, our English wasn't good, but we were touring around the Von Trapp family singers. And we found that Americans were were just as bad, but in a different way. Uh-huh. Uh, that th- that they would uh, that they would spend their Saturday nights, um, sort of uh, in in absolute entertainment, uh, so that they would be so worn out on Sunday uh, that if you were in American cities, you'd see people whipping their cars around corners to make it to the last service of the day, and that. That America too had become a land without a Sunday. Then she ties it interestingly to our Puritan roots as a country, mm. which is connected to the sort of the Webertani thesis and work ethic that you were talking about <laughs> beforehand. Uh, and and she she just notices how uh, that lack of a Sabbath, both in communist Russia and in workaholic America, uh, 
really is destructive to human happiness. And that, of course, is what we're about, happiness and holiness. So anyway, uh, I'm excited to, to be able to chatter a little bit about that with the guys this morning. So guys who are listening to this have families that are like, I, I'm in. I bought in. Yeah. I, I, I do need to do leisure better. I do want to participate in festivals. Yeah. Um, now what? What's the pra- like practical advice? Like, What does that look like? Yeah. Um, in, in today's world, like for, yeah. for a Catholic dad? Well, I think it's challenging. It's, of course, much more challenging than if you have a whole Christian culture uh, undergirding it. But right, because the culture is against I- every, every bit of this, the right? The culture is against every bit of it. So let's not feel sorry for ourselves to start with. God right. places us wherever he wants. <laughs> right. <laughs> right, sure. And we don't get to live in another time and another place. We get to live here, and he, he equips us with all of the graces that we need in order to live heroically, courageously, and well. Uh, in this moment. So it's a, it's an extra challenge. I'll talk this morning a little bit about habits that we can form. Uh, I think that habits that are fundamental in terms of leisure, in terms of creating a culture of leisure, both within ourselves and within our families and as a church have to do first with habits of solitude. Uh, that There are times in which and the church has a vast spiritual repository to help us with this. There are times in which each of us need in a habitual way, not just like once a year, but in a habitual way, we need to step in out from the wind. We need to rest from the sort of emotional and psychological tapes that are playing incessantly inside of us. Uh, and we need to, to be with God. Only, only those who listen, only the silent hear. Uh, and so that's the first thing, habits of... So uh, adoration is key. Adoration is key. Adoration is key. So habits of solitude, um, habits of Sabbath. Of course, that means that we don't... Uh, so th- this whole question of how we live Sunday in America, there's a Sunday afternoon neurosis where all of a sudden you're both fearing going back to work and you feel like you wasted and squandered all the time of the weekend. You know what I mean? We can overcome that Sunday afternoon neurosis by being much more intentional about how our time on the weekend is spent. In other words, what do our Saturdays look like and how do we live them? And what do our Sundays look like and how do we live them? And it's interesting because we can go gung-ho for Sunday, uh, but if we're not bringing all the strands together in an integrated fashion, uh, we'll fall back into the old same habits or we'll find ourselves sort of miserable in this construct that we've set up. And so it's a question of, of how we spend our time. Even Friday evenings play into how Sunday feels. Right. And so it's important to have habits of Sabbath. And then lastly is habits of service. Now, uh, you might think, gosh, if I'm working all week, the last thing that I want to do is spend my s- Saturday mornings in a soup kitchen. That'll just make me more tired. It is not true, actually. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it's so important. It's so important for our children uh, to see how important the care for the poor is. Going out from uh, sort of the, the, uh, the, the, the fortifications of our own comfort, and we have a lot of comfort and prosperity uh, in our time, uh, going out for, from that into, into the margins uh, to encounter those who are, who are deeply needful. And that allows us uh, to really be transformed. And so habits of solitude, habits of Sabbath, and habits of service are practical ways in which we ourselves and with our families and as a church uh, can recover uh, leisure and a true sense of life, happiness, and holiness. 
Monsignor, I feel like I could. We could talk all. I would love to talk day. to you more. Yes. Um, <laughs> we don't have the leisure for it. Yeah. No, but Adam's got to run this show, <laughs> and, I've and I've got to go talk. Yeah. More, <laughs> yeah. I, I told him in the beginning. Oh, ten minutes. Ten minutes. Uh-huh. You know. It's, and <laughs> we're at twenty-four. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, if somebody wants to hear more of your thoughts on any, is, do you have a website or like a way? Yeah, so I'm not a, a professional Catholic speaker. Right. I, run a, I run a university. Yeah, you have I'm, like other things going yeah, on. So, yeah, so I'm at the University of Mary, umary.edu, or if you want to see kind of we've gathered all of our Catholic initiatives uh, under cometomary.life. Cometomary.life. And so uh, if, if you want to see, you know, what we're up to, that's good. Another thing, though, and, and, and I think we have some um, – some resources on leisure, but we've got a vast repository of all kinds of things for Catholic life. And it's not a, it's not a project that we're branding heavily University of Mary, University of Mary, University of Mary, because we want it to be a resource for Catholics and all people of goodwill. We call it primematters.com. If you go to this website, Prime Matters, you'll find a, a, a section that's foundation and a section that's perspectives. Perspectives is sort of commentary on things that are happening, not like newsy sort of uh, knee-jerk commentary, but commentary that deeply draws upon the great tradition of classical Catholic thought in order to understand the things that are happening in our world right now. And then Foundations is a deep repository of evergreen content that sort of shows the building blocks of the Catholic imaginative vision. This book that I'll just mention, so I think somebody along the way, the organizers of this conference or uh, the diocese, I think maybe the Catholic Foundation of Oklahoma, they got a whole bunch of copies of this little book, From Christendom to Apostolic Mission. This is a book the University of Mary released uh, last year. A group of friends and I kind of got together and said, what's happening in the church? What do we need to do? It's a brief essay, about 100 pages. And Prime Matters is an outgrowth of this book, which has been so spectacularly popular. We sell more than 150 copies every single day out of our bookstore of this little essay. So it's really touching a nerve from Christendom, which is that society in which you would be supported in living a life of leisure Mm -hmm. with your family, to apostolic mission. And apostolic age, which is what we're in right now, is an age in which Catholics and Christians have to take a different approach to questions of faith and life. So youmary.edu, cometomary.life, and then primematters.com. But none of them are about me. I don't know if you'll find, you'll have to look around to find a picture of me on any of it. Okay. Well, that's all right. <laughs> that's all right. Thank, Thank you very much, Monsignor. God uh, bless you. Yeah. Cheers to Jesus. Cheers I think Jesus. that must be the best motto of anything I've ever seen. Cheers, <laughs> cheers to Jesus. Thank you. Yeah. Thank hey. you. Hey, that's a, a Benedict Sixteenth thing. I told him. told me. At least the raise your glass part. The raise your glass. Yeah. yeah. We oh, love him. Awesome. Thank you for being here, Monsignor. Thank you. God so bless much. you both. You too. Hey, I'm Adam Minahan, and this is David Niles from The Catholic Man Show. And we are so excited because we are going on pilgrimage to Ireland. We're going this September, September 15th through the 24th. We're going to go to some amazing Catholic places in the country. As you know, the Catholic tradition in Ireland is so deep and rich. And while we're there, we're also going to be visiting some distilleries, if you can even imagine that, you know. Us, the Catholic Man Show. So we're going on basically a <laughs> cathedral and distillery pilgrimage to Ireland. It's going to be awesome. And, and because we're going on a, a distillery tours that are not typical for the tourists, Dave, we're not taking a bunch of people. We're not taking 60 people. We're not taking 50 people. We're capping this off at 30 people because we want to be able to That's have it. We're, we want it to be intimate. We want it to be able to uh, go to places that normal tourists don't get a chance to go to. Uh, so 
Go to selectinternationaltours.com slash catholicmanshow for more information. All right, we're here with Steve Ray, the one and only Steve Ray. Steve. Steve Ray. I'm so glad you're here. Well, thank you. I'm glad to be here and glad to join you guys. I like what you're doing and glad to be a little part of it. You're like Catholic radio superstar, international international, uh, jet setter. I don't know. What's I'm trying to think I'm, of a better word for that. But I'm two things. I am a Catholic adventurer and a grandfather of 19. Nice. That's like Those both were better than what you, you what you had said. I was Let's t- go with take two. We'll go with Steve's. Hey, I was getting there. <laughs> <laughs> well, Steve, uh, thank you so much uh, for sitting down to talk with us. Um, you uh, just spoke to the men here at the men's conference today. Um, you gave just a great a great talk. My uh, the highlight for me was the story of you drawing a sword on a thirteen year old boy. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Can yeah. get confirmed. Yeah. I just thought that was hilarious. You you know he's coming over to get you know some catechesis, learn about the sacrament, and you. Pull the sword on him. Are you well, ready I, to die for Christ? I, I, I had to make sure this kid, before he goes through CCD and becomes confirmed, that he knows what he's getting himself into. Too often, a CCD and confirmation, they end up with just a party going to. And yeah. Uh, now, I'm, now I'm a registered Catholic because I had this party. and I wanted that kid to know what it really meant to be a Catholic. So when he came up on my porch that day, I was hiding in the shadows with a sword in my on my belt and a Roman helmet on and a red blanket over my shoulder. I looked like a centurion, and I jumped out and pushed that kid against the brick wall of my porch with a sword and asked him if he's ready to die for Jesus Christ right now, and if not, don't waste my time. I'm a busy man. <laughs> then I took him in, and for three hours I talked to him about what confirmation meant and what it meant to be a Catholic and a Christian. And he told everybody for the next six months about the sword. I could just picture him going like, oh, you got slapped by the bishop? I had a sword at my throat. You got slapped by the bishop. Give me a break. I know the bishops don't slap people anymore. Don't you wish they'd bring it back? I think they should. Come on. Our church has become way too feminized. Look, when my son gets confirmed, I'm going to be like, bishop, look at me. (laughs) You slap him and you slap him good. That's right. No no one's watching, all right? I'm going to look the other way, but I'm listening, okay? I want to hear it. That's right. I agree. I think we've, uh, I've even heard that the, um, some organization that used to carry the sword aren't going to carry swords anymore because it just promotes violence. And I just say, come on, you know, the Knights of Malta, the Knights of the Holy Sepulcher, the Knights of uh, Columbus, the swords are cool. It's tradition. Yeah, so why right. take the swords away? There's a Catholic school near us that won't let anybody throw snowballs because they said it's violent. Well, if you're going <laughs> to... <laughs> the church is becoming feminized in too many ways. And oh. I think it's men's conferences like this, I'd like to see the men take back the day-to-day in the churches. <laughs> Steve, if you had, uh, so you, you have how many, uh, how many, 19 Four grand? kids and 19 grandkids. 19 grandkids. Yeah, here's, so a, here's a picture of them. We'll show them on the air here. I'll put it up close to the microphone. There, yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> if you could, if, oh, you, wow. if you could go back and, and tell yourself one thing that you wish you would have taught your, your, your kids or you wish you would have done more uh, th- than what you actually did, what would that be? Or maybe maybe it's nothing. I, That's hard to say because I, I will say that from the beginning, my wife and I got married with a business plan that was made up of two points. Number one is I was going to prove to the world, we were going to prove to the world that a man and a woman could stay married for a lifetime under the Lordship of Christ. Uh-huh. And second, that we could raise kids to do the same. 
Okay. And so our whole project in life, I even started my own business with the purpose of having nobody tell me when I could be home with my kids. So I started a business out of our home and we homeschooled. All the things that I would have said, Dad, you should do, I tried to do. Because I started out that way from the beginning. So it's not like I'm looking back at the fact and saying, oh, I wish I'd have done this and wish I'd have done that. I started out knowing exactly what I wanted to do. And we were, weren't Catholics. We were evangelical Protestants. Uh -huh. And the Focus on the Family organization, um, Pat, uh, Dobson, his name was Dobson, um, and he did Focus on the Family. We bought all their books, and we studied them. And when the kids got older, we'd stay up all night and read, okay, now they're teenagers. How are we going to do it now? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And we'd work with the teen with them. And uh, so... I have to. I, th I see the family as like an artwork, a big masterpiece, and it takes a lifetime for this artist, Michelangelo or Raphael, whoever, to paint this all beautiful. And you make mistakes, and you go back, and you ah, you get get more purple over here, you know. And s our family should be like a great masterpiece of art that we're working on. And someday, I want that in the halls of heaven, as a testimony to God. Say that's the way I wanted it to be. Yeah. If every man worked in his family and with his kids with a goal of, I want God to point down and use us as an example and say, that's what I wanted it to be. Then the parents aren't going to go too wrong. Yeah, oh, sure. If that's the goal. And so I really, we started out that way. And I had a great wife who was willing to support me, and she was 100% in on it, homeschooled. When discipline came, she backed me all the time. The kids knew they couldn't go to mom or to dad. You know, dad, right. mom said I can't. Well, I, oh, it's okay, son. And then my, we always said, if you ever try to get mom and dad against each other, we're both coming after you. Right, yeah. <laughs> we played that, yeah. In fact, <laughs> my little kids, that's what we've done as well. Try yep. it one time. Yep. Right. See what happens. Try right. <laughs> yep. You will be in big, big trouble. And don't ever say no to your mother. Don't ever Raise your voice to her, because if you do, you have me to deal with. And that was a rule in our house from the beginning. Yeah. And our kids never raised their voice to their mom. They never said no to her, and they love her and adore her to this day. Yeah, I think in the, in the, the few times in my life where I've had to say something like this, my wife, you can tell, she's just like, proud to be my wife when the kids say no to her yep. i come in there and say like look she might be your mother but that is my wife <laughs> see, and you're nobody doing speaks to her that way i don't care who you are that's right you love mom more than you love us don't you i said you're damn right i do that's absolutely right in the, in the words in the words of my father-in-law i chose her you guys just came along later <laughs> that's right you guys and just her, showed up her and i were lovers and got along long before you got here and we're going to be lovers getting along right. long after you're gone and if you think you're going to mess that up while you're here renting with us you're not going yeah, to happen i didn't take any vows for you guys okay. <laughs> that's right i mean i do think that you're pretty great yeah we love but, you and yeah you're but you're part of this special club but, but you better get in line you know <laughs> and a wife will be loyal to her husband that does that yeah Right, yeah, because I took a vow to de like defend her. Yeah, it didn't and take to a vow her. to defend her except from certain people, right. you know. And unless a man, you must love your wife like Christ loved the church and give his life up for her. Mm -hmm. Then this says the wife should submit to their husbands, but you're never going to have a problem with a wife submitting to her husband. A husband who lays his life down right. makes her the first object of any decisions and lays his life down for her every day. What woman's not going to love that guy? Right, right. I made two girls cry out here at the lobby yesterday. Nice. They work at the front desk. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and I went up to get my key, you know, to, uh, for the room. And in, in three minutes, I had both of the girls crying. Here's what I said. 
do you have an ID? I said, yes, I have an ID, but I'm much better looking in real life than I am on the picture. And I did that for a purpose to get a conversation started. Uh -huh. I said, at least that's what my wife tells me. You know, I've been married 40, 45 years. And I, I said, we have all these kids and grandkids. And she said, wow, that's a lot. I said, yeah, but I love my wife. I said, I told my wife that we have a, a covenant together for life. And even if you get in a car accident tomorrow and you're paralyzed for the rest of your life, I'll be honored to push you around in a wheelchair. And the girls go, oh, that's so sweet. And I said, no, it's the way it is. Us Catholics, I said, I'm a Catholic. We have a covenant together. We have, it's not an agreement as long as we have good sex together. I'll stay with you. And if not, I'm going to go right. somewhere, change you into a, right. new, a new model. You know? Right, yeah, get I a said, newer model. I told my wife, never a newer model. I said, you and I, are. we're going to heaven together. and We'll spend all of eternity together, and I'm with you for life. And the girls are going, oh, that's so sweet. Tears are running down their eyes. That's all you have to say to get a woman to cry? I, women love no, I'm going to say that more. I'm going to say, like... <laughs> Women love romance. They love a man who's willing to lay his life down for them, make them feel safe and loved. Yeah. And then when you said that to your wife, when you s stop the kids, she's going to love you That's forever. That's what I'm saying. Like, she's like the proudest wife at That's that right. in those moments. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, what, do you, what advice do you give to the dads out there who have done their best to have the, 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 the game plan? Like you, like you just said, right? You're like, Wife and I are on the same game plan. We want to get us, get ourselves to heaven, get our, each other to heaven, get our kids to heaven. Uh, kid now no longer practices the faith. They're, you know, they're like, I don't know what I did wrong. I, I took them all to mass. We went to confession on every, yep. you know, every Monday of uh, of the first of the month, and you know, they did all the steps. They checked all the boxes. I would say that kids will love what their parents love. And if parents really love the faith and they portray it not in a legalistic and a dogmatic, unfun way. There's mm -hmm. a fun way to present the faith. Uh, the kids will stay with it or eventually will come back. Statistically, it's not a promise, but there's always going to be a black sheep here and there. What do you mean by presenting it in a fun way? Well, for example, um, if you just do things by rote, you know, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. Or go to, I, I'll give you an example of my dad. We were Baptists, of course, but I, I couldn't wait to go to church, even though young boys don't want to go to church. We want to chase frogs and play baseball. But my dad brought candies to church. And he would sit there, and he'd be singing his heart out and listening, but he'd always be tickling us at the same time. He'd always have his arms on. There's three boys, so we'd all be sitting next to Dad and Mom, too, and he'd have his hip finger tickling our ears. And that meant an hour of Dad touching and loving us and giving us candies and teaching us how to sing the psalm the psalms together you know and so it was kind of fun to go there because uh, I, I watch families where the mom and the dad are so intent on being spiritual that they're totally ignoring the kids and the kids are dying for the attention of their parents mm. and the parents are totally ignoring the kids and then they get misbehaving and then they yell at them well it's the parents fault mm. Set the, split the kids up, a kid, a mom, a kid, dad, the next kid. Don't let the kids sit together so they start fighting. And then pay attention to them. Teach them the songs. Teach them what's going on. Whisper in their ear. Tickle their ears. Give them a, a bit of candy here and there. That's not, not bad to do when they're kids. Yeah, I think it's especially important when they're kids to really introduce them to the yeses of the faith. Yes. Not just the noes, right? Like, hey, today is the feast day of you know St. Elizabeth. And she's like, we named you after her. Yeah. So like, we're having cake all day. You know what we're having for breakfast? Cake. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, take that. This is uh, what my kids do. 
as their patron saints of all of their kids, they treat that as equal to a birthday of that kid. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So the kid has a birthday, but then on the feast day of Damien and Molokai or whatever, they have another big party for his feast day. So they study and learn about him. They make cakes like that, like you yeah. said. But they make a cake like that saint or something to do, and the yeah. kids help make the saint. Great. My dad used to say, let's go for a walk. So we'd go way out in the woods, and he'd take us boys, and he'd say, I'm going to tell you a story about a snake. And the snake was very um, angry. And the young boy was so much smarter than the snake. And the snake was stronger. And the snake was going to get the boy. But the boy made the snake so mad that the snake tied himself up in knots. And then he couldn't hurt the boy. The moral of the story is don't ever lose your temper. Let the other get, let the snake lose his temper. Uh You always keep calm. You always be smart. Never raise your voice. Well, that was a fun lesson. But he did it while we're out walking in the woods. Yeah. Telling us stories. Yeah. So, uh, so I tried to do the same with my kids. We, how do you talk to a kid about sex, the birds and the bees, so to speak, and how babies come about? Well, we had animals, so it was very easy. Oh, look what the goat's doing. The daughter would say she's going to have babies pretty soon. <laughs> so it makes talking about if you plan ahead and do things like have animals and rabbits and chickens or whatever, and you, the whole idea is to spend time with the kids. We have chickens, but they don't ever do that. No, they don't do that. That's why they just have eggs. They we don't, don't have, have a babies. rooster. You oh, know. that well, you need to get a rooster. <laughs> you need a rooster. For that. that just makes the whole explanation easier. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, like, you probably get this question a lot. You've got... I mean, because I think this is just a big common question. You get a son who has straight or a daughter is like, what do you do? I mean, maybe maybe it's like you're a dad who's like, you know what? I recognize that I made a lot of mistakes growing up. Uh, my kids are out of the house. You know, is there anything you can do? I mean, because I do think there's a delicate. I mean, there's like a right, the right and wrong things to do still as, okay. a, as a dad. So you're saying that. We treat we do one thing when the kids are living in our home and they're growing up and we're raising them. Now they're outside and they're adults and they're not in the faith. Now what do I do? Yeah, and so like like you recognize, you know what? I wasn't, I didn't live the faith when they you were young. It. You yeah, admit it. I, I get it. But now I've come back to the. Ch- I get it. But my there kids are all out of the house. There, something you know, like that. make sure and your I, kids get it. It's, right. It doesn't make any difference if you get it. You have to go apologize to them and tell them I blew it with you. I didn't do right. Here's what I should have done. And um, I'm, I'm, I wish I could do it over again. There's, my parents taught me, say you're sorry really quick because it makes your life so much easier. Mm-hmm. Be willing to say you're mm-hmm. sorry. I encourage people. Advice. I had a guy write to me and say his niece is marrying a transgender. And can, should I go to the wedding? I said, no, you shouldn't go to the wedding. Maybe the reception, but not the wedding. Because he said all his grandkids are going to be there watching, and they're going to see what's grandpa say about this. Or by you being there, you're you're condoning and approving of it. Right. And you can't do that, of course. But I said what you can do is if I come, you're my son, and I come to you, and I tell you you're doing something wrong, you're immediately your reaction is to fight back. But if I write you a nice long letter, and I pour my heart out to you, and I apologize for things I've done wrong, and Tell you how much I love you and I'm devoted to you. Mm-hmm. And then why you can't come to the wedding because of this. Right. It, 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 first of all, they're not in your presence, so they don't feel like they have to attack back right away. It gives them time to think, but you've prefaced it with your love and your concern for them. And then it's easier for them to receive it. Then if you don't come to the wedding, they know why you didn't come to the wedding. He loves me. He, but he does. He can't approve of this thing I'm doing. Yeah. So I, I would say that if your kids are older, 
you need to reconcile with them. Admit that you made a mistake. Admit you wish you could do things over again. Tell them you want to, from this point on, be a good example of what I should have been earlier. And no matter what you do, I love you. Mm -hmm. You're always part of this club. And I love you, and I'm devoted to you, and I'm always here for you. Um, I think that goes a long way towards writing the ship if it's <laughs> getting the ship turned back yeah. around. And, and you may not see the answers to your prayers in your lifetime, but I'm convinced that in those situations, if you really pray and make sacrifices, that God will eventually bring them back. I think that's a good idea. Like a letter has power when you write things down. I mean, th you did that for your dad. It when became a book. <laughs> right, right, yeah, yeah. I mean, right. that must have been a long letter. <laughs> it was a long letter. And you know, the beauty of that letter is that when we became Catholic, I'd already written that letter. And my two older kids said, I'm not, we're not going to join the Catholic Church with you. And I said, why not? And they said, do you forgot what you taught us in homeschooling about the Catholic Church when we were Baptist, Dad? Touche. <laughs> but I had written that letter, and I asked them. I that's said, the lesson you listen to? Yeah, yeah. that's the only <laughs> one. Of all the things to. I've taught you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the one you listen to. So I, ga I gave it to them. I said, I wrote a letter to Grandpa. Would you proofread it before I send it to him? Now, I may be dumb, but I'm not stupid. And when I gave him that letter, they read it. Took them five, uh, they went up at 2 in the afternoon, came down at, 12, at 10 at night, and they were crying, and they said, Dad, that was a good letter. We're going to join with you. So, yeah, letters wow. are powerful. Wow. Letters are powerful. It's a good way, I think, for dads, also dads or moms, to just pour their hearts out to their kids in a very real way because some of us, it's not a problem for me, but a lot of parents, dads especially, it's hard to be emotional. It's hard to say, I love you, and I'm sorry to their son. Mm -hmm. But if you write that down, it's a lot easier, I think. And I think more heartfelt and better received by the kid. You know, when I was in college, I was not practicing my faith. It was like a lot of, like most people in college. Yeah. My mom did, she wrote me a letter. Um, I bet that haunted you. Yeah, and I, I still, Obviously I still can see it in my mind. And yeah. like it really did. And she never mentioned anything about it, right? I mean, but she gave it to me and... Like it was, it really impacted me. Yeah, it didn't yeah. cause me to immediately change. Yeah, yeah. But it was, you know, still it was something in my life. Yeah. Right. Seed planted. Yeah. Exactly. And then you let the Holy Spirit work, and you continue to love them and be a good example. But at that point, you, family members always think it's their job to get their fallen away one back. Rarely is it the family member's job to do that. Right. Yeah. Usually the Lord is going to use somebody else. So I've always encouraged people, pray that God will bring somebody else into your son or daughter's life who they respect, who will influence them. They may be a teacher who's a profound Catholic who will influence them, or they meet a new friend. And and leave it up to the Holy Spirit. So I have, I w just to change the subject here a little bit, this is a different topic. Um, why should somebody consider taking a pilgrimage? for If somebody has never been to the Holy Land, never been to Rome, um, why should someone consider doing that? St. Augustine said someone who's not gone on pilgrimage or traveled has only read one book, uh, one page of the book. Hmm. If you only live at home, you've only read one page of the book. The church in the world is vast and big. And a pilgrimage is a great way to get people out of their comfort zone. In fact, the word pilgrim means sojourner or traveler uh -huh. or stranger. That's what the word pilgrim means. Somebody on a pilgrimage is a stranger traveling through new territory. So it's a way that you get people out of their comfort zone and put them into the hands of God, in a sense. And they see th the Holy Land is really Holy Land. It, uh, there's some, when you ask me a question, like that, my mind goes in 50 directions. 
But I always tell people, when you get to the Holy Land, you think you're going to go there and touch the land. But be careful, because the land is going to reach up and touch you. Hmm. Because it is sacred ground. Jesus walked there. Places like Rome and Guadalupe are sacred places. Only Israel's holy land, mm -hmm. because it was sanctified by the feet of God himself. In fact, do you know when God walked on the earth with all th six feet? People say, what are you talking about? In Genesis 18, the three visitors who came to visit Abraham, mm. the doctors of the church said that here you see the great mystery of the Trinity. Mm. So wow. when you walk on the land where they walked on, it has a huge impact. People are never the same coming to a holy. Now, if you just go there as a tourist, that's one thing. But if you go on a pilgrimage where you pray at these sites and you learn what they mean and you read the passages of Scripture that relate to it and you pray the mystery of the rosary everywhere where that mystery took place is what we do. And you have time for confessions and you have mass at the tomb. And you have mass where Jesus said, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And by the way, every one of those mass sites, they are site specific, so it doesn't do you any good to bring the Magnificat to follow the readings of the day? Because at those sites, every day, it's the readings of the gospel from that site. So it just draws people into the site. And, mm. But a pilgrimage is a way of changing people's lives. And El Cresta, who you guys may have heard of on Catholic oh, yeah, Radio, yeah, yeah. So he's been on three of them with me. And he said that he's convinced that there's no more powerful way of evangelization than taking people on a pilgrimage. Wow. A, and whole internal change of heart. Mm-hmm. Um, I have been to Rome, uh, and that, it was just so powerful, right? I mean, like, I've been to places before, but I don't have the vivid memory of, the, like, that I do seeing, wa walking into St. Peter's Basilica for the first time, or going to visit St. Paul outside the walls, right. you know, or, um, all of these sacred places. I've never been to the Holy Land, um, That's the first place people should go, I, in my estimation. You, so that's what I was going to ask you. I mean... It's hard to say, like, oh, if you have one, if you're only on one pilgrimage, like, is it's got to be the Holy Land, right? It's got to be the Holy Land. Yeah. Because when you go to Rome, it's the glory of Christianity. It really is a, 800 churches in one city and the catacombs and all of the beauty and the grandeur and the artwork. It, it's, the, it's the beauty and the glory of Christianity. Uh -huh. You go back to the Holy Land and you're at the very beginning. Yeah. You're at the foundation of everything. That's where God walked, and that's where he died on the cross. And to, when I take our group up to the top of Calvary, I say, we're all going to go down now under the altar, two by two, and you're going to touch under the altar. That is where the cross stood. You're reaching into mm. a hole where the cross stood. That is where the blood of Christ dripped. If you had touched that 2,000 years ago, your hands would come up sticky with his blood. This is where you are. Now, Rome is great because it's got all the saints and all that, but... There's nothing like Israel where you have Abraham and Moses, Jacob and the David and all of the prophets. This is this is the land where it started. Yeah. The ideal pilgrimage would be to start in Egypt, like the children of Israel coming out. Or actually the ideal one would be in Iraq where Abraham came from at first. Uh -huh. I've, I've been there. In my movies I've made, I'd go to Iraq and filmed all the beginning of Abraham's life. But to go to Iraq and then go to Egypt where the children of Israel were in bondage and then go around to Jordan and across the Jordan River into the promised land yeah. like the Exodus and then be there with with Christ and the apostles and Mary and the Holy Land and then go up into Greece and Turkey, which is 
I call the second Holy Land, where, all, where really the book of Acts took place. Uh -huh. And then from there, end up in Rome for the glory of Christianity. Then you've kind of gone the whole story of the Bible. Yeah, but if you're only going to go to one, history, yeah. if you're only going to go to one, the Holy Land is the place to go. With a, But not all pilgrimages are created equal, and you want to go so that you know you're going. in the. If you're going to go one time, make sure you do it right. Yeah, I would say that. So with that in mind, I don't know if you have any advice or any suggestions. I have young children. I would love to go. But it's like, it seems like an impossible task to somehow do that. Is there is there any advice or like life hacks or, you know, like, <laughs> oh, this is a great way to do something, you know, other than like, oh, just hope the grandparents can watch your kids we while take, you're gone. We take a lot of kids. Uh -huh. In fact, every year. On the 27th of December, we leave, and it's called the Christmas Family Holy Land Pilgrimage, where people bring their families with hmm. their kids. Uh -huh. And then we get home by January 6th in time for school to start, so it's a Christmas break. Oh, that's awesome. And you fill a bus up with families and kids, and the kids, are, it's funny to watch them, though. The first day or two, they're kind of eyeing each other, like, who's that kid you don't have? Right. But third day, they're my mom buddies. and dad, my mom and dad, they're right. sitting having lunch together. And they experience things, and I always take them under my arm so that they get uh, fun with the kids, you know. Like uh -huh. When I talk in Capernaum, I have them all sit up in the trees while I'm talking, you know. I say, you guys look like squirrels up there. What are you, Zacchaeus? Up? Come down out of that tree. But we do fun things with the kids, ride camels and all that. And the priests that go on those trips say to me, without disclosing any information, I can tell you from the confessions that I hear at the end, these pilgrimages have radical Conf uh, effect on the mm. kids so we do that and i also believe that people spend hundreds of thousands of dollars sending their kids away to university where they're going to be do indoctrinated and lose their faith mm -hmm. spend five thousand bring them to the holy land and they'll never lose their faith starting yeah. at starting at six seven eight years old they'll never forget it wow steve i'm always uh like really admire how you just openly live your faith, how you always like y you have no problem sharing your faith with strangers. Y you just told a story about like just <laughs> meeting, meeting, you know, the, the ladies at the hotel lo lobby, you know, like I'm, I'm very, I, I admire you very much for just authentically uh, having no issues whatsoever oh, I love it. To, I to live your faith. So I just like, I don't have a question. That's not a question. I just want to say thank you. Well, because thank you very it's a, much. It's a, uh, I, I look up to that and it's something that I admire and it's something that I strive strive to do if so. somebody really loves a football team baseball team they don't hesitate to share about it right if you really love jesus and you know it's far more valuable than the sports team we ought to be quick and ready to share that's why yeah. i wear this cross everywhere because people comment on it and it gives me a chance to talk to them i thought it was because you're a really flashy guy no i never i'm not a jewelry guy <laughs> i am not a jewelry guy i kind of no. grimace every time i put it on no. but i put it on because People stop me and say, yeah, it's beautiful. I said, thank you very much. I wear it proudly as a Catholic. That's my answer. Love and the it. other day I was in line at an airport, and the family was behind me. The kids were really rowdy, and I said to them, totally against my personality, I've always got to be the front one in line. That's I'm a type A guy. I bit my tongue, and I says, ma'am, <sighs> I can't believe I'm saying this. Ma'am, would you like to come and get in front of me because I see you got your hands full? She said, yes. Then I went up to her and I held up my cross in her face and I said, if I don't practice it, I shouldn't wear it. That's all I had to say. She says, God bless you. Thank you. I just witnessed to the faith. Mm -hmm. It was very simple. Mm -hmm. 
We make it com we, we try to make it too complex sometimes, yeah. don't we? Sometimes it's as simple as saying God bless you instead of have a good day right. or Merry Christmas instead of Happy, Happy Holidays. Right. Abusive language, abusive power. Yeah. So uh, I have to leave. Feel free to keep going. No, that's I, uh, that's all I got. Th Steve, okay. thank you so You're much. You're welcome. Glad I'm to grateful be here. to sit down with us. You're, Glad to you're be a with blessing you. to us and to the church. And we'll, we'll, we'll love, we'd love to have you on the, the show sometime soon. Anytime. You know how to get a hold of me. I'm easy right. to get a hold of. Thanks, brother. I appreciate right. you. Bye-bye. Hey, guys. David Niles here. For those of you who don't know, for my day job, I'm a financial advisor. So I know firsthand how difficult investing can be. That's why I was so excited when we met Mark Lozano, founder and owner of Christ-Centered Capital. Mark's mission is to provide in-depth research and analysis on which companies and organizations align with Christian values and which ones don't. Of course, he's also seeking to provide investment recommendations and stock picks that have financial potential and are also aligned with Christian values. What I really love about what Mark is doing is that he's completely transparent about why a company might be a moral investment versus another one. He leaves it up to you so that you can make informed decisions. He's not just going to say, oh, this one's moral, this one's not. He'll give all of the reasons in the research that he's done with links to articles or whatever it may be, so that you can make the most informed decisions on your own investment portfolios. Because as Catholics, we have a duty to uphold Catholic values, and the same goes with our investments. So we want to be as virtuous as we can be, and Christ-Centered Capital is really invaluable. It's only $7 a month for you to go and sign up to get all of his recommendations and all of his research. To me, it's a no-brainer. If you're an investor and you want more information, go to ChristCenteredCapital.com, and make sure to use promo code TCMS. 2022 for one month of free access, no obligation. That's TCMS, The Catholic Man Show, TCMS 2022. We're here with Marcelino D'Ambrosio. I, uh, I really wanted to introduce you like that, but then I was like, I don't want to, like, I don't Accents are really not your thing. It's That's not my thing, and I don't want to offend you right when you get going. No, no, no. It wouldn't have offended me. I, I kind of have fun with people botching my name or, or <laughs> whatever, you know? So uh, I, I collect them. It, I actually collect all the mistakes. You know, guys praying over me today was funny. Like, they didn't know what to call me. Uh, please, uh, uh, Lord, bless uh, uh, um, uh, Dr. Uh, Ambrosia. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was great. March. Marcellino. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so I went with, but I went with the Irish, the strong Irish name, and then I—that's that, that's what I went with instead, that's good, that's just to good. not offend you. That's the, you I don't—I may have offended you more. I'm no, not no, sure. No, no. My mother would have been <laughs> delighted. My mother says they call him Doctor Italy, but he needs to tell everyone his mother's Irish. So, <laughs> so yeah. So actually, actually, my father, my Italian father, my, he studied my great grandfather, my Irish great grandfather's Irish brogue. He had thick brogue. Uh -huh. And when I was a little kid, he'd come to the house and he'd go with my toes. One little piggy went to markets. Two little piggies went home. Three little piggies. So my grand, my father, the Italian, copied it, and he got a perfect brogue, and he would tell Irish jokes. And my Irish mother can't do it to save her life. It's <laughs> unbelievable. So anyway, I learned my Irish brogue from my father, <laughs> who picked it up from my great grandfather. That's yeah. hilarious. Yeah. So my mom's Polish, but my dad has adopted, I think, a lot more Polish uh, traditions. traditions. Like every year, he and I, he and my the other men in our family, we make uh, Polish dessert liqueurs called Krupnik. Oh, uh, you know, it's like everybody thinks he's the Polish one, but he's he's not. Isn't not that a, great? Not an ounce of Polak in him. Uh, you know. it's, it's well, my mom, my Irish mom, became the best Italian cook of all the women in the Italian family. She, wow. she, she mastered it, man. She nailed it. So she talks with her hands. We call her a born again Italian. <laughs> a born again. Italian. 
<laughs> love it. Yeah. Well, uh, Dr. Marcellino, thank you for being here today. Um, you gave a great speech to the here at the men's conference in the Father's Footsteps conference. Um, I was really encouraged by some of the things you said, just because one of the things that it's like, ah, I wish we would get on the right train as men or apostolates that are speaking to men is just like get off the wishy-washy stuff like there's nothing about being a christian that's easy or is gonna be rainbows and marshmallows you you know like (laughs) it's gonna some of it is gonna suck yeah uh but it's so good so it's beautiful like the the Christian life as the a paradox, man, the pursuit of virtue, the pursuit of like, what does it mean to know and live Christ in your heart? Um, somehow we've adopted this mentality that, oh, religion, holiness, what for women? You know, uh, that's kind of a narrative out there that a lot of men buy into. And maybe they just kind of do it as an excuse so that they don't have to like obligate their well, something. Well, I, th- I think it's because a lot of guys haven't seen it. They haven't seen other men modeling it. So mm-hmm. th- they've seen women be pious and guys go out chasing skirts, and so they fig- figure that's what right. it means uh, to be a male. supposed to do. That, you know, so that, that's what it is in Italy. Honestly, like, uh, uh, sadly, Italian men before Vatican II, before the big change in culture, most Italian men never went to church. They dropped their daughters, their, their wives off, and they go play cards in the city town square. And that's the way the culture was, uh, sadly. Uh, it was for women, mm. unless, you, unless you were called to be a priest. Right. And then you want to make sure you get to be a cardinal. Sure. You right. See, you know, you got to yeah. upward progress, right. you know. Right. But, um, but anyway, I, I just think discipleship, you know, G, uh, the, the series Jesus, the Way, the Truth, and the Life, which I did with Ascension Press and uh, Ed Street, Ted Street and, and Jeff Cavins, that, that series tries to bring out the ruggedness of Jesus and the apostolic life, the guys that followed him, the walking, the challenge. You know, and what discipleship is really about, which is a journey. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, we love stories that are about journeys. I mean, the greatest stories around are like Lord of the Rings, you know, more classically, the Odyssey and the Iliad. It's about yeah. struggle. It's about discovery. It's about danger. It's about risk. You know, all those things are part of it. And that's what keeps us on the edge of our seat. We're built for that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're not built to, 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 you know, sit around and retire and play shuffleboard. You know, like I, I hope that God, I, that I never retire and sit around and, just you know do that i mean i i i want to be i want to die in the saddle you know if, if yeah, i retire I, totally yeah so um but I, I i'm just saying like you know th- this is part of the, the the problem but i think when when people see when men and younger men they see other men living this way mm-hmm. they sit up and take notice and they, they're they're interested and i so i think we just need to be um those sorts of guys and and certainly adventures for women as well and you know even in the cloistered monastery of um saint joseph in avila you know, St. Saint, um, Saint Teresa of Avila was on a mission, and she was dynamic. And her relationship with God in mystical life, that was a journey. And she talks yeah. about interior castle, you know, exploring. So, like, you don't have – it's not always about actually literally being out on the road and fighting dragons. So, you know, sometimes that journey is an inner journey. And um, the, the Little Flower is another great example of someone who is not, you know, out in the midst of the action – but she interiorly was living that drama yeah. of, um, of of growing every every day closer to Jesus and and um, patron saint of the missions. Why? Because the missions were in right. her heart. She man. never went anywhere. She went. Yeah, I know. Is that crazy? <laughs> yeah. So, but I mean, that's true. That there is no greater challenge in life than self mastery. I mean, right. if, if you want to if you want to do something difficult, 
that's yeah. it right there. Uh, you know, it's like <laughs> people are, you know, they're attracted to the military. One thing you brought up is, you know, all these dangerous things. Well, I guarantee you one thing, following Christ, it's going to cost you your life. Yep. You know, like you're not going to get out of it al- alive in the same sense. You know, you got to die if you want to conquer this. If, if you want to if you want to do it right. It's like, are you man yeah. enough to do it? That's really the question. Yeah. Um, think, you think about the early church. It, it grew. I don't know if you guys ever read the book by Rodney Stark. He's a, um, a sociologist, Christian sociologist uh, from evangelical background, and he teaches at Baylor. But he wrote a book called The Rise of Christianity, mm-hmm. and he used sociological his sociological chops, so to speak, and he applied it to the history of the early church. And just remarkable insights on how the early church grew, why it grew, and the rate at which it grew. And we know what the rate is from pretty much from Pentecost of 120, and then uh, it, then you go to the middle of the fourth century is six and a half million. So you can actually see net growth was was 40 percent every 10 years. That's not like wild. It's just steady growth mm. from attracting new people and keeping your you know many of your kids. You know what I mean? And and but that was in the midst of a society where you didn't know every day when you walked out of the house whether you're going to end up getting thrown to the lions or not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And and yet it grew. And it was a pagan society with as bad uh, sexual perversions as we have. You know, homosexuality, bestiality, you know, wife swapping. All that stuff was part of the culture of the right. ancient Roman world. And yet the church grew. So mm-hmm. like that's the good news. We can keep we can grow if if we you know actually follow Jesus and we model that to others if we love like I, I talked today about you know people need to see the love of God in our face mm-hmm. they need to experience that God's interested in them through us being interested in them mm-hmm. uh, us communicating to them that they're worthwhile um, even when they're messing up even when they're not mm-hmm. right you know in their actions we still communicate respect and love to them that's kind of over a period of time it's hard to resist it's yeah. really no, hard to yeah. resist. I mean, it's the whole, like, kill them with kindness kind of thing that yeah. my, my mom always used to say in, to, to me as we were go, you know, going to school. There, She was like, just kill them with kindness. They're not happy. I've tried it, Mom. They're not dying. They're not dying. <laughs> I'll tell yeah, you what. I, have kill, I have tried my best. It does not seem to be working. Yeah. <laughs> so you have, but you have, a, now remind me, you have, I know you have at least two sons, correct? Is it John and? Anthony. I know Anthony. I have twins who, who are the leadoff hitters. Yeah. Uh, Marcelino and Anthony. Yeah. And both of those guys, um. Are following Christ and living for living for Him, and they both are involved in Catholic work in various ways right now, uh-huh. um, and have done, been youth ministers, kind of really talented youth ministers, honestly. And my daughter Marisa, um, incredibly proud of her. She she actually is the producer of Bible in a Year. Okay. And um, oh, really? honestly, that yeah, and you know, there's a team behind Father Mike. Father Mike doesn't right. produce his own videos. Sure. Right. And he didn't think up the format of Bible in a Year either. And sure. the, you know, like that had to be. And so my, my daughter heads the department at Ascension that well, does she, all that she stuff. She hit a home run, I think. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's give amazing. The, give the woman a raise. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you know the NPR was kind of, a, you know, we know NPR is not necessarily the fan of all things Catholic, right? Right. Well, NPR interviewed her about what the heck is going on with this podcast. Why is it so popular? Yeah. You know? What is the concept? Well, so. let me tell you about this guy. He lived <laughs> yeah. 2,000 years ago. <laughs> so here's the kerygma. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and believe it or not, he's actually pretty great, you know? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I, and I have two more. I have yeah. Christina. Christina is married to Alex, and um, and they're pretty. They're really remarkable in their love. Uh, they they met doing 
uh, outreach to the poor in the inner city down mm, at uh, beautiful. yeah at, at, um, I met Father uh, now Bishop David Condorla down I there. I know him. I know him. Yeah, you know him, yeah. right? So I met him when he was there because they were there at A uh, and M, and and they were doing oh, cool. ministry to the to the poor in Bryan. And my youngest guy Nick is an amazing musician who has uh, played in worship bands. He's an amazing drummer, and an incredibly hard worker. So I, I'm proud of all of them. You know, I'm, re I'm really proud of them. And I'm we have six grandchildren so far. We're, we're going for, for perfect geometric progression. We had five. They're all obliged. Between them, they can decide how to do this, but we want 25 grandchildren. Okay, yeah, you know, sure. It seems, it seems reasonable. It's not fair. It's reasonable. If yeah. we could do it, you know, right? Yeah, I think so. so. I mean, people say it's not a competition, and I say, you just say that because you're losing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, but, but one of the questions. Whatever you got to tell yourself, bro. You know? But one of the things that I did want to ask you about is, so if you're talking about how, like, they want, you want to be able to, your, your, even your children, to see see Christ in you. Yeah. Right? You, you want, thank you, you want um, them to see Christ. A lot of that has to do with uh, different tra traditions that you may have instilled in your family. Yeah. Like, being intentional about, like, taking your sons out, taking your daughters out. What does that look, what did that look like for you, grow, like, as, as your family went up, like, grew up? Well, one of the things is that, Prayer and faith need to be integrated into life um, and, and not, you know, churches here. And this is religion hour, you know. But um, so, you know, prayer around the table and conversation around the table. Like one of the things that we did in my family that I didn't do in my family of origin. F meals are important for Italians, you know. But um, they, the kids got fed and then adults ate. That's the way it, I was kind of brought up most of the time. So we always had family meals together, even when the kids were little and some were in a high chair and some were. So we would talk about stuff like we, we would actually talk about the feast day. Like we, we we wanted the saints to be real people to them. So we told them a story about the saints and some are, you know, easier to relate to than others. John Bosco was a favorite, you know, and mm -hmm. so. Um, you know, we did we did that. You did talk you know? about the dreams he had of hell. Oh, uh, we didn't. We didn't. We didn't <laughs> not right away. <laughs> we kind we, we of, yeah, we, yeah. We kind of <laughs> let that off to the side, and we talked about the dog, the supernatural dog that God gave him. Yeah. I don't know if you know about that. But, I, I mean, it's just amazing uh, stories. St. Francis, you know, we raised him on little videos, uh, animated videos from CCC of America, you know, and stuff like that. We sang, you know, we, uh, we loved Benedictines. We talked about Clear Creek Abbey a little while ago, um, and I personally uh, had that great influence of the Trappist on my life. And so I learned a sung Compline in English, uh, but Gregorian chant. And um, our whole family just made that part of our life. And so we would sing Hail Holy Queen as the last thing, putting our kids to bed. And they love that. And now they're doing that with their kids. And mm -hmm. when the family gets together, we do this sung Compline together. So these are, you know, little traditions. I, I think those traditions are very, very powerful and valuable. But I do think that... Uh, as I emphasize today, I didn't emphasize them a lot in the talk because I think a lot of times we look at those things a little bit more than we look at this fundamental. If those things are associated with love and forgiveness and mercy and respect and joy, then those things forever will have great value and meaning and not just be practices. Oh, yeah, we did that when we were a kid. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Um, and I, so I think that that's kind of was my focus in the talk today is um, it's it, it's love it's joy, it's adventure that, that really captures the imagination of kids and uh, motivates them to be open to this relationship with Jesus yeah. where now they're following him, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so. I think that's the beautiful point there that if you're not in love with Jesus yourself, then you can try all these other things. You can do all the stuff, yeah. but it's just not going to 
it's, it's going to be inauthentic, right? So if you focus on loving him, growing in your relationship with him, and, you know, like, what's your prayer life look like? Right. Because if you, if you don't have a prayer life, then you're not going to fall more in love with him. Exactly. And so if you do that, those other things will probably take yeah. care of themselves in a natural way that fits in your family, right. you know? Right. I mean, if you're growing, if life is an adventure for you, then it's easy to get that across. And you don't even have to say that. Right. Mm-hmm. People can see that. Mm-hmm. But you can't tell people that following Jesus is the greatest adventure when you're bored, when you're, act, right. you know, when you're stagnant, when you're not going anywhere. and You're just kind of going in circles, you uh-huh. know, just kind of. So I think I think that's part of what Lent's about. This is supposed to be, you know, like spring training every year for us to get the fundamentals back, to get our chops back, to get rid of some of the fat and, and really to make some advances yeah. and, and to, to cover some new ground. Mm-hmm. You know, um, that's kind of like what I think, you know, it's how I present Lent. Now, I didn't talk today about Lent, but, you know, it's a great opportunity for us to say, hey, you know, what's a new gift that I've really never, you know, I, I haven't really unpacked. You know, what what is, maybe it's the rosary. May, maybe maybe it's my relationship with Joseph. You know, like we had the great year of St. Joseph last yeah. year. Like, that was a new one for me. Like, in the last few years, Joseph has really become a great inspiration. Yeah, embracing your Italian roots. I mean, yeah. you guys love him. You know that St. Joseph was Italian. He was definitely, he must be. Uh, well, listen. He has to be. Look, you heard of the House of Loretto. Yeah, Why do yeah. you think the House of Loretto got moved to Italy? Yeah, I mean, they got there as fast as they could. You know what I mean? So <laughs> <laughs> they weren't born there, but even Peter got there as fast as he could. You know? Right. So, he, knows what, he knows what's going on. Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> oh, that is classic. How did Joseph become, like, the, the so I, I, that's kind of a dumb question. I mean, like, why shouldn't he be everybody's, Everybody. you know, guy? Well, but my theory, my theory is because of, of, of working men. You know, the Italians who came to the United States, yeah. like my grandfather, they were all laborers. They all came, you know, they were, they were hard workers. And Joseph was an awesome, he was a patron saint of workers. So, yeah. you know, I think there was a great bond to St. Joseph for that reason, uh-huh. which we really need to discover that. There's more to Joseph than than it being a worker but but i mean we need to rediscover um joseph and yeah. i do that the, the the book jesus the way the truth and the life there's a whole chapter on nazareth and it really focuses on joseph because uh, ascension did a whole study with dr edward Sree about mary so we decided in this series we're going to focus a little bit more on joseph's impact uh-huh. on jesus because uh, it's not known because we don't really understand jewish life and we just kind of imagine their life as like our family life which it wasn't no you know yeah. So. Yeah, you know, there's so obviously he didn't say anything in scripture. There's not really a whole lot known about him, but there's such a rich tradition. Yeah. About him and about his virtue, all the virtues of Saint right. Joseph. I mean, there's just so many beautiful things to, which have really in the last couple of years. Thank you, Father Holloway. Yeah, Father. Yeah, thanks to like the consecration to Saint Joseph and well, so many other things, like really made a big difference in my life. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. So, there, so there's something that we discovered recently, you know. Mm-hmm. But I mean, if we're it, like at the table, what do you talk about? Like, do you ever tell your kids about something you're excited about that has to do with the Lord? Or, you know, honestly, I think I think it's an awesome witness when you get excited about another aspect of life or creation. If you're just interested in life, because it's all about God, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and so, like, you know, just recently I discovered a great book on how the Catholic Church built Western civilization. Hmm. Okay. 
Oh, we love talking about that. Like I, I, I what I, book I, is it? Yeah, uh, who's it by? It's um, I forgot the name of the guy who okay. wrote it. Uh, it's a professor. He wrote it like around 2004 or so. Okay. So you can you can look it up. I'm going to start giving some talks on this. But uh, man, it went great conversation. And my kids, my adult kids, are really interested. And my wife is really interested. So like a new thing I'm learning, I'm sharing it. Yeah. And that's part of what should be happening at meals. So we're all sharing stuff that we got, we're learning, you know. Um, b- besides, you know, hey, how'd your day go and stuff like that. We're, you know, it's, it's awesome. And I, I think if, if we're learning and we're growing, I think that is a tremendous witness to, to our kids, even our adult kids, because, uh, you know, you guys are kind of young. But but uh, th- not as young as we used I'm to be. I'm glad that still huh? people they, still say that. About yeah, you're, yeah, you're still kind of young. Yeah. So yeah, yeah be, you know, like some of us have adult children and we're worried about them, and, and some of us have grandchildren and we're worried about them because yeah. they're just not you know where that we'd like to see them. Um, so, but I, I think uh, th- we can impress them if we're growing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? If we're alive and we're growing, that that says a lot about Jesus. And Amen. Ultimately. Amen. Well, Dr. D'Ambrosio, thank you so much for being here. You're a gift yeah. uh, to these men today and to the church. Uh, you've got a lot going on. You're leading pilgrimages, which is great. I mean, I don't know. You probably have a backlog of pilgrimages that have like been waiting to go. We just, on. Yep. I'm, I imagine that you're going to be pretty busy over the next couple months. Yeah, it's a it's an exciting time. I just talked to Steve Ray, and both of us are right now extremely busy because people are done with COVID yeah. finally, mm-hmm. and you know, emotionally, Thanks be to God. people are ready. Churches are ready to and, host and luckily, events. So People is Italy come. and so is Israel. Th- exactly. <laughs> exactly. They've just lessened, you know, some of their restrictions. So, yeah, I'm doing catch-up pilgrimages now plus ones that were planned, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So. so yeah. But if somebody wants to get in touch with you or yeah. what, where do they, they, where go, do they to, go? It's pretty simple. Dr. Italy, dritaly.com. It takes you to my ministry website. The, the name of the ministry is the Crossroads Initiative, but that's kind of long. So DR Italy, it's easy to remember. Um, come there. Sign up for the the, week, the email. I send out an email every week that is really about nourishing. Uh, it's not about fundraising. It's about <laughs> nourishing you in Christ. It's free resources that are just pertinent to the season right now during Lent. Great resources, uh, kind of unique resources, really. So come and um, enjoy them. Awesome. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. More than 60,000 men from around the world have journeyed through Exodus 90 together with their brothers. Priests, bishops, single men, married men, Catholics, non-Catholics alike. One of the things we love receiving are emails from guys who signed up to do Exodus 90 through the Catholic Command Show and let us know how much freedom they've experienced once they go through the program. And it makes sense, right? Here's how it works. And these are the things that we talk about all the time on the Catholic Command Show, which is why we love promoting Exodus 90. They have three pillars, the, a pillar of prayer, pillar of asceticism and a a pillar of fraternity and through those three pillars they help men grow closer to christ to their spouse to their children and to their friends closer to that man that god has called them to be so go check out exodus 90 they have exodus 90 lent as well it's exodus90.com slash tcms for the catholic man show tcms Thank you to Exodus 90 for being a sponsor of The Catholic Man Show. Hi, this is Bishop David Condorla of the Diocese of Tulsa in Oklahoma. So let us pray. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thy intercession, was left unaided. Inspired with this confidence... I fly to thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. 
To thee do I come. Before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen.